Hey, welcome to Younger and Older. This is Jason and Dave hanging out at the beautiful studio of Relate365.com in the beautiful Northwoods of Wisconsin on the campus of Silver Ridge Ranch and Nicolay Bible Institute. So it's it's a lot of fun. If you've never heard of Nicolay Bible Institute, we do a one-year Bible program here uh, where you can come study the Bible, learn camping ministry, do life alongside of your professors right. in a very small context. And it's actually a lot of fun. And we're actually doing a promotion that we've never done before, Dave. We are. What is it? We are. If So if you decide to come, whether you're looking for like a gap year or just something to do um, after you finish high school, for anybody who applies before April 15th of this year, we're taking $500 off your tuition. Well, get to it. How do they so, find the info for So that? head over to Nicolay Bible Institute. Dot org. All right. Cool. So, you, you know, I love education, actually. I think that's, of course, that's what I've been called to in life. I used to be a fifth grade teacher. My degrees are in education. I have a master's in education. Love the idea of trying to impart information to people. And I think God's put that into uh, my whole family, by the way. My dad is a pastor. My brother is a pastor. Mm-hmm. My daughter, one of them works as a social worker in a school. The other is a teacher all my nieces and nephews are teachers. Yeah. So I, I think somehow in families there's there's like these things that pop up and you just go that way. Yeah, you just go yeah, that I, way. I, I don't know if it's because mom and dad are so into education that that's the realm in which you think. Could be. You know, or what it is. And then I ended up, my dad started camps and I ended up in camping. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I don't know how that all works. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. It is interesting. In fact, you know that that I actually fought the idea of, of coming up here and being the one that was in charge of the ministry. I didn't want to do that. Really? No. No, I thought, you know what, I'm. it's happening because I'm my dad's son and I'm not qualified. And the truth is I wasn't qualified. The reason I got it was because I was my dad's son. I mean, right. That and I was willing. That was really it. Yeah. And so when someone asked me, what qualifications do you need? I said, I usually tell them, get born in the right family. Right. Because that's like, what happened. It's like the monarchy. Yeah. Except just, now you could decide not to be part of it. That's right. <laughs> so, I, you know, anyway, we, it's interesting to me because then as I fought it and I prayed through it, it's one of these things that came to my mind. I grew up here. I actually and literally have done almost every job. Not some of the modern ones, like I've never run the zip line or something like that. But oh, we could change that. I, I know we can, and we might one day. But I, I was head wrangler. I, I was lifeguard. I was maintenance guy. I was program. I was, I mean, I, I've done almost everything at camp, dish crew for summer. Yeah. So after a while, I just realized something. I realized, you know what? I really did arrange my life. I went into teaching so that I could be here in the summers. Mm-hmm. And I've done every job here. Maybe God was preparing me for something. Yeah. You know, I mean, maybe I was accelerated in the preparation process uh, because I also understood all the pressures of ministry growing up in the family that was in ministry. Mm-hmm. And um, to this day, I realized that some of the advantages that I've had through the years is the kickstart I had because I understand guys in ministry because I watched my dad. Yeah, I've watched my brother, and now I've been in ministry. And there's some unique pressures that happen uh, when you're in ministry that are different than other pressures. I'm not saying any job doesn't have uniquenesses. I'm just saying in ministry there are some unique ones. Yeah. Um, and I'm used to it, and I thought, okay, maybe God did make me for all this. Um, but I love the idea of process and how people get from A to B, from B to C. Um, and I think that we, we should talk about that a little bit. you got three 
young boys. I got three boys. Okay, now how are they going to be, how are they actually going to learn things in life, and how are they going to be encouraged to become what they should become? Because yeah. every one of them is created differently for a different purpose. Right, absolutely. So I never became a pastor. My brother did. My dad was. I was like the black sheep of the family. I'm not doing that. Yeah. No desire whatsoever, even though I loved education. Yeah. Zero desire to be in a church. Mm-hmm. Now, I go to church. I still run a youth club, but I'm still saying no desire to be a pastor. Right. So you, you look at that and you say, okay, how'd that happen? Mm-hmm. Well, I had a dad that was, that was wise and pushed you in the direction that he thought you were made. Right. Rather than pushing you in the direction that he needed. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was an, a, an evidence from early age that I loved the educational process. Mm-hmm. I just loved the idea of teaching. I, I grabbed every opportunity I could to teach. I loved the idea of it. I loved the challenge of trying to do something in somebody's life that would actually change their life. Yeah. Not just give them information, but do something that would change how they think. Yeah. Uh, for example, we used to go out on, um, it, they, we call them adventure camps. So I would take kids out for a week on horseback in the Nicolay National Forest. Really? Yep. And, you know, went out there and created the trip. And, and basically, we would, kids would come up on Saturday. On Sunday, I would work with them here at camp on horses. I would only take 10 at a time. But I would work with them to make sure they had some of the basics before we went out. Because mm-hmm. we were going to be in the saddle for five days. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure they could sit in the saddle right, some of those things. And so we worked on that. And on Monday morning, we would take off. And we would come back Friday. Wow. And just stay in the woods. Yeah. And loved that trip. I mean, that was one of the highlights of of my life, actually, going out there. Rich Hess, who's on our staff now, has gone on those with me. Um, Ron Elwert used to go on those with me. These are people you know that are meaningless to the rest of the people listening. (laughs) Old timers. Uh, Yeah, old timers. But what was interesting about those trips was that it, there was there was a, a process in place of educating kids on what relationships were about, even mm-hmm. back then. Yeah. So we would go out, and the first day we'd spend probably five hours in the saddle, and everybody, by the time you get to where you're going, is sore, and nobody wants to ride a horse, even look at a horse. And they smell th- like a horse. Yeah, and they, they thought, oh, this will be great, and by day one they're ready to, you know. To go so, back to camp yeah. and jump in the lake. Yeah, but we're far away, so they're not going to. And... What happened then is we get there and teach people how to put up tents and cook and do all that kind of stuff. And then we built a fire and we sat around it. Mm-hmm. So it was, it, there's this guy, Wally, and again, you know his son, Walter, uh, that's been up here. Oh. And, and Ron and Rich. And we would just build a fire and sit around the fire all of a sudden. So supper's done, tents are up, we're sitting around a fire in the middle of the National Forest. And the kids would come to us, our high school kids, and they'd say, so what's next? We said, sitting here around the fire talking. And they'd look at us like, no, really, what's next? Mm-hmm. Sitting around the fire talking. Yeah. You can go to bed whenever I tell them. By the first night, I mean, they were all in bed by seven o'clock. <laughs> you know, it's like, that's the activity. Yeah. You realize you're in the woods in the middle of nowhere with a bunch of horses tied up that we're going to take tomorrow morning. And we don't have like a zip line out here. We don't have anything. We're just in the middle of the woods. So first night, usually a disaster. The, the second night, we get to our spot again. We, we hook things up. We, we sit down. We build a fire, and us old guys are sitting there, and they go, I know, fire, sit, talk, right. 
<laughs> well, that night it lasted till about eight. Yep, a little bit longer. The third night, they wouldn't go to bed. They would be sitting around the fire. We'd be telling stories and laughing, and you know, they wouldn't go to bed. They 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 finally caught on to what you need to do is look at each other and talk. And and the end of the week, it was always such a phenomenal experience. These people had grown together. They've enjoyed each other. They learned what it was to have a relationship out in the woods. The stresses and the pains and the and and all we had to do as leaders was let in a way nature takes its course. Yeah. You know, I mean, we 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 didn't intervene. Mm-hmm. We didn't say, "Oh, you poor baby, you're bored. Let me, you know, I I got these magic tricks I brought." Yeah, you know, I, I didn't do that. I said, "No, we're going to sit here. You want to learn how to build fire? I I could show you that." Yeah. You want to hear about, you know, how you can predict rain by the fire? I could tell you that. Really? Oh yeah. Yeah, that's pretty easy. I could tell you if it's going to rain pretty soon or not just by watching a fire. Really? Yeah. It, if the smoke goes straight up, yeah. No fire. No no rain. Okay. If the smoke goes up a little bit and down to the ground, it's low pressure. And and you you've got rain in the area coming at some you know, I don't know how many hours away, but you've got some. If it just go if you just have trouble in staying hugging the ground, you got rain pretty soon. Hmm. So I kind of used the fire as a barometer to see how long we should stay out there. You know, huh. if if it was going straight up, we just you could sit all night. Interesting. Of course, other people use their common sense and look for clouds, but that, that's typically you, what I do. I look at the sky, kind yeah, of feel so, the breeze. Well, we didn't have phones back then either to look at touche the at the radar. Yeah. Touche, touche. That's yeah. kind of what I do now, so yeah. I know it, to anticipate a little bit more. Yeah, well, as cavemen, we we used to look at the fire and right. uh, decide by it. I also used to look. Now I don't know if any of this is true or scientific because. <laughs> Because these are things I discovered in the woods on my own and, sure. and came up with my own theory. There's a tree in our area. It's called the quaking aspen. The quaking aspen. Yeah, we call it poplar tree. But it, it's the technical name is it's quaking. It's a quaking aspen. Same tree. It's out in Aspen, Colorado. It's just different. oh, it's the same as a poplar. Yeah, it is a poplar. I learned yeah. something. Yeah, aspen poplar the same. As now, you would call it, it's pamphlet knowledge now. It is, and and the bark. You can rub your hand on the bark of these these quaking aspen and get powder and use it to powder your face if you're inclined to if you're a female and you like want to do that. Like white powder. White powder, and they used to use it for that, just a kind of a talcum powder, kind of thing. Hmm. So if the bark the bark can be pretty smooth, you rub your hand out in the woods, you get it all white from this powder. Hmm. Um, however, what I noticed was before it rained, right before it rained, the leaves on the quaking aspen would flip upside down and back to their original spot, and they would keep doing that. Huh, interesting. And I thought, I wonder if that's a sign that it's going to rain. Because every time I saw it, it rained. Yeah. Now, they normally have the leaves shake a little bit anyway. Um, that's why they're called quaking aspen. Yeah. They're usually just kind of Do they looking. look like a birch tree? They, they, yeah, yeah. A lot of people think they're birch when the sun's on them. Oh. Huh. A lot of people here think that the popple trees are birch from a distance if the sun's on them right. Oh. I've probably yeah. done that. Thing. Yeah, they're not. They're popples, and they're different. But you get close, you see it. I mean, the bark is different. So yeah. on an old popple tree, the bark is hard to say because it looks more like oak or maple at the bottom. Oh. And the real big ones. Yeah. But the younger ones are smoother. Sure. And so they give a little birch appearance, especially with that white powder on them. Yeah. Now, you might be sitting there at home saying, so we tuned into this to listen to you talk about- <laughs> trees, trees. And popples and- No, I'm talking education. And what you, learn, and what you learned in the woods. Yeah. Let, let, me, 
Let me go to the educational process. To be intentional to take children, young people, out into an environment where you give them nothing to do other than spend time relating Mm -hmm. to those out there. And then all of a sudden, their their powers of observation begin to bloom. Mm -hmm. And things that I said out there, like, let's watch the smoke. I wouldn't tell them why, and they'd say, why? I can predict the rain from the smoke. Now all of a sudden, I got all their attention. Mm -hmm. I'm not lecturing them. Right. I just said something and got quiet. I can predict the rain by the smoke. I'm waiting for one of them to say, tell me about that. Just like you did. Mm -hmm. You took the bait perfectly. See, there you go. And you didn't even prep me for it. No, but that's how you learn. You don't learn by me saying a lecture to you. Sit down. I'm going to tell you all this about smoke. And I mean, you're checking your phone. You're looking at your emails. I mean, that's what happens in that case. But because I can spark something where your imagination has to start taking over. And now- now the other thing is, it's probably ingrained enough in you where you're going to try that in the future. Yeah. You're going to say, I'm going to see if he's right. Now I've really got you. Maybe. Or I'll look at my radar. Yeah. Well. I'll look I, at my radar and then, I think, and then confirm whether or not it works. <laughs> I, think, I think there will be a time where you're sitting out by fire with your family and the smoke will be evidently doing something and you will say, I wonder if oh, it's yeah. going to rain. That's right. And I'll be like, Dave told me. This yeah. So it will be a test. Mm. and I think you'll do it, actually. And that's how education takes place. So if you're with a child, so right now, all you've got for me is theory. Right. But I promise you down the road, I just put you in a position where Mm -hmm. you'll either confirm the theory or reject the theory. Yeah. And probably everybody that's listening at home will do the same. Mm -hmm. They'll, They'll either accept the theory or reject the theory. And that's where education takes place in the personal realm then. Not in the only reason I can say that is because I have sat so many nights by a fire. Yeah. And I I was the leader of the group. I had to try and understand whether it was going to rain or not. Right. Because decisions needed to be made. And we didn't have cell phones. Right. And I didn't have any news and I didn't have any report. And I had to try and figure out from the things around me what was going to happen. Yeah. And so my my observation started to get keener (laughs) you know because i was trying to figure it out yeah so every time it would rain i would say okay it was just doing this out now Mm -hmm. or it felt like this yeah and and pretty soon i'm just predicting the weather now i didn't have a bunion that would go off for me or anything but a bunion yeah some people their bunions bother them right before it rains oh interesting so i've been told i don't have one so I can't verify that. Did you lose it? What's a bunion? I don't even, it's something on the toe. It's like a big bump on the toe from, oh, I think either. I know uh, Paul Bunyan. Yeah, I, I don't think that's a toe <laughs> thing. So let's talk about your boys though in the learning process. Yeah. So when you want to teach your son something, yeah, how do you do it? I think it's different for each of them, Okay, obviously. But uh, I think showing it and then practicing it on a regular basis. For them, they're at the stage of repetition. Not only that, but reinforcing it with doing it myself, you know? And so a lot of times it's like, no, here's what we do. Right. You know, and then obviously they're going to do it again because they're learning. Yeah. And age appropriate, obviously. Right. Uh, for you, I taught you how to use a chainsaw, right? You did. Uh, yeah. How do we do it? You went out there with me. And, and who did the sign? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's, right. you, you had to learn. Why did you want to learn a chainsaw? 
So that I'd be able to get wood for my family. There you go. You know. So you had the motivation right. already. I had the skill. I just needed to put you in a position where you could fail. Right. And I think that's so important because oftentimes we think that when we teach somebody, we're the ones who have to do it all and have them watch. Right. But I think it's so important where you almost need them to do it themselves. Yeah. You know, it was, it was the same same way I learned how to change brakes. Right. You know, um, we have a, a mechanic that just passed away from cancer. Right. Um, that used to work here. And he was the one who actually taught me how to do brakes. And he did the same thing. I'm like, oh, could you show me how to do brakes? And um, he's like, all right. He's like, grab that. Yeah. Do this. Yeah. You if know. you were asking him to do it, you, right. got, you got in trouble because he wasn't going to. He laughed at me a few times yeah. because I did a few things wrong. Right. You know, <laughs> but now I know how to change the brakes. Exactly. Because I had to do it and I had to, to work through it and even fail in the process. He's like, no, 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 that's not right. You got to do it this way. I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's crucial. I think it's the same as we train our children. You know, I think there's some things that you need just to allow them to learn and maybe make a mistake or... You know, there's some things that you want to try to teach them. You know, I mean, the, the example we always use is touching a hot stove. Right. You know, someone will learn right away. Some of them, they'll have to touch the hot stove in order to learn. Yeah. You know, and it all depends on the, like you said, each individual learns differently. Right. And so you have to do it according to that. I mean, that's an obvious one to teach, but it, it goes, I think the principle is there. Absolutely. As we, as we transfer it over to everyday life of why we, how we train our young people. How patient do you need to be? Oh man, teaching? you need to be more patient than you think your patient will be patient yeah. for. You know, whenever I, I, that five whenever, <laughs> I, whenever I teach anybody, I use chainsawing for example, and I've taught several, it kills me to watch them. Yeah. Because I'm sitting there thinking, no. But the, the chainsaws make a noise. I can't just say no. And I realize, you know what, they're not going to hurt themselves. They need to, they need to go ahead and bind the saw. They need to, they need to do that while I'm here, so that I can say this is why it happened. Right. You know, and then fix it later. Yeah. And then eventually, what happens is you begin to actually cut enough wood where you don't need an instructor anymore because you're you're in this self-teaching mode. You you've got the basics, and now it's a matter of practice and refining, and and you become a really good chainsaw down the road. I mean, yeah. kind of thing. And then you have a storm. Right. That takes out a lot of trees and then you really get your practice. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? It's funny because um, I got hours and hours and hours on a skid steer. Yeah. And the only reason I got hours and hours on a skid steer is because I actually knew how to use the controls at least. Yeah. But I never spent hours in one. Right. Now, all of a sudden, I'm spending days in one of those. And now I keep getting jobs where they put me in it. Right. Because you've learned again. But you had a reason to learn. Yeah. And um, as uh, Dan, who teaches a lot of people up here, he would look at me and just say, well, get in there and try it. Right. And I'm thinking, try it. This is a machine that could you know, kill people, run over people. Well, he wasn't putting me in those positions where I was going to kill people and run over people. Right. He said, get in there and do this, and you'll see it does that. And he was right. You couldn't explain this to me. Right. I had to get in and have it go and feel crazy. it and do it and right. get the hang of it. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Recently, I was uh, grooming the trails, and I'm trying to teach the other guys that groom the trails. We groom cross-country ski trails, put the little grooves in them. We use a skid steer for that. And a skid steer on ice is pretty- Fun. Uh, yeah, tough. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, recently, I, I made a mistake on a hill, and every single guy up here that might groom, I've told them about. Yeah. And the reason I've told them about it is because I want them to learn from my mistake and have the respect of the fact that that thing could flip. Right. And they need to understand what ice does to those tracks. Right. 
um, I really thought the thing was invincible, that I could go up and down anything. Yep. And Dan said no, but he knew I'd have to get stuck once in a really bad predicament. Right. And I did, and I'm safe, and I was safe, but my goodness, I was, I was thinking, this skid steer is going to stay here till spring. Yeah. I mean, I, it skid off the trail, it, 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 the ice it wasn't doing anything with, and I was in the woods, and it was buried. Deep in the woods. Deep in the woods. Yeah. I mean, we're talking several miles in the woods and buried. Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking, Dan thinks it's funny because he's one of the nicest guys in the world, and I'm going, <laughs> Dan's going to kill me. <laughs> you know, and, and really, I knew he wouldn't. Right. But that was my first thought. It's like, I just buried a skid steer out here. Mm-hmm. The, the truth is, Dan has taught a lot of people how to do things. And if I did get it stuck, he would have gone out there and taught me how to get it unstuck. Yeah. That's what he would have done. Right. He wouldn't have yelled at me. No. He would have helped me get it unstuck and mm-hmm. brought it home. And now, then it would have been a joke, you know, after that. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's how you learn. You, you have to be willing to let your children do things. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really hard to let them do things. Oh, yeah. I think that's, that's one of the hardest parts, even if it's something silly. You know, and that's that's where the patience comes in. You know, especially having younger younger boys. You know, I always have to think it's okay. Yeah, it's gonna be fine. Yep. Now, will they always listen to you on the front side of things if you give them instructions? No, no, because what happens is, let's say I'm just thinking when I was younger here, I was taught how to um, clean the stalls for the horses. Yeah. You know, I'm 11 years old. I'm cleaning stalls. And the, the guy who was in charge, his name was Don, he was saying, here's what I want you to do, here's how I want you to do it. I'm, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Right. Wasn't listening to a word he said. Right. I thought, what moron doesn't know how to pick up manure? You know mm-hmm. I mean? Really. Just right. go out there and- Pick it up. Pick it up. Well, I did a terrible job. And after I did a terrible job, he came and said, didn't I tell you to use this and use that? Oh, yeah, you did. Okay, the second time I did a good job. Yeah. But I had to go through the experience where I looked like I was listening. Oh, totally. And we get that all the time here during the summertime. Yeah. I mean, we have, you know, our volunteer staff and our summer staff clean cabins after the campers leave. And then we have to have, ch- you think like our summer staffers are adults. Right. You know, they're usually college age students. Right. And you think that, okay, they know how to clean a cabin. But we actually have to go back and check them. Yep. To make sure why. Because it's the same thing. There's a, a learning curve. They think, oh, I could do this in a quick way and it's just the same. It's like, no, there's a process to cleaning. Yep. You know, and so it doesn't matter the age. There's always, a, you know, an opportunity to, to learn and to teach. You know, it is harder, though, to teach than to just do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and, that, that, and that's the thing that a lot of us run into. It's like, I'll just do it myself. Right. You know, where when we do it ourselves, we rob the opportunity of the learning moment. Right. And that's, that's even hard as a parent, too, especially with, with young kids, you know, because say one of my sons says, oh, I want to help with the dishes. You know, I'm sure every parent out there that knows that I have a six-year-old, a three-year-old, and a two-year-old at any point would be like, oh, man. Yeah. That's yep. going to create a bigger mess and a bigger problem than if I were just to do it myself. But at some point, he needs to learn how to do dishes. Right. And learn that, you know, it's more than just playing in the water and right. getting it everywhere. But it's still a learning process. You know what I'm saying? And that's, those, those are simple things, but it's the whole style, the principle that we've been talking about. There's principles that I think are effective when it comes to teaching. Yep. And if you can practice those principles on the simple things, when you get to the more difficult things, you're still used to doing the principle when you yeah. need to teach it. And I want to suggest, again, it is harder on the teacher to watch somebody fail on purpose right. so that they can learn. Right. And you need to have the wisdom 
to understand you don't let them fail where they'll hurt themselves permanently. Right. You don't do that. But you do let them fail. Right. You need to let them fail in order to teach them. And in order for them to make it through life. Yeah. And now if you keep guarding them against failure, I'm, you know, I, I look back on my life and again, I don't, you know, my dad, I'm sure did things he shouldn't have done. My mom and I'm sure I did things I shouldn't have done. But really back then, even when, when the situation called for me being um, not treated fairly, mm-hmm. instead of my dad going and making people treat me fairly, he taught me how to go through being treated unfairly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like, let's say somebody, somebody bullies me. And they did when I was growing up. So I got bullied. Yeah. Instead of going and yelling at the bully's mom or dad or the school, what my dad wanted me to do is learn how to take being bullied. Yeah. Learn how to love people who hate you. Mm-hmm. That's what he wanted me to learn. He yeah. didn't want me to, he didn't want to step in and go, oh, well, we'll go talk to those parents and deal with them. He didn't do that. Right. He didn't want me to be so fragile to realize that through life you'll never, People are never going to say anything against you. They're never going to say bad things about you. They mm-hmm. are. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So how are you going to deal with it is the question. Not, okay, so it's not valid. All right, it's not valid. But that's another issue totally. And this right. person, um, I, I think, you know, years ago, uh, just doing dishes up here. Every week, sometimes you have a different dish room supervisor. Mm-hmm. They all do it differently. And, you know, I would think, well, I'm getting treated unfairly in this. I, I always have to do the bulk of this and that. I, I go tell my dad, I'm, you know, this guy's a bum. Yeah. And he'd go, you need to listen to him. Right. Yeah, but dad, no, no, no. You need to learn what it is to work for somebody who's a harsh taskmaster. I mean, you just need to learn that. Yeah. I'm not saying he's right, by the way. I'm saying you need to learn how to work there. Mm-hmm. So I, I think my dad was on a different educational plane than the rest of the world yeah. at, at this point. And even now when um, children come up, you know, I honestly think a child that comes from a very um, wealthy or affluent home, they could use a, a time where they live in one of our more rustic cabins. Yep. And this would do them well. Yep. They could they could have the world not revolve around them, have a bunch of other people in their cabin with them that they don't necessarily agree with. Mm-hmm. They need to learn how to go through that. Right. Parents who always want their children to have this epic, wild, fantastic, no problem experience, you're not educating your child, you're destroying them. Right, right. And and I think you need to send them to camp, keep their phones at home, have Please. them go be a kid for a week, Yeah. and just learn how to live with other people, learn how to live where, where the agenda isn't just totally about you, where, but you got other cabin mates. These are important things in life to learn. Yeah. And uh, we need to put kids intentionally in a position where they can learn them. And that's our job as parents. Right, right. And and really, it's, it's a challenge to us as parents, too, because it will be difficult at times. Right. You know, because like you said many times, and we both said, it, it'll be hard to sit back and watch in the situations where you just need to let them to learn or to have the patience to allow them to go through the learning process rather than you just picking it up and doing it yourself. But the more that you can, you know, do it together, you know, even in the previous episode, we were talking about dialoguing about, right. it, you know, and if you you do that, I think it's it's really good foundational steps to build a strong relationship with your children. But unfortunately, that's all the time that we had for today. If you missed part of this conversation or if you want to listen to the other conversation that we had about dialoguing with young people, I encourage you to head over to Relate 365. 
Com. And you can download this podcast, the previous podcast, or even other podcasts and take a listen. We hope that in some way or another, it's encouraging and challenging to you um, and helpful for you. But that's all the time. This is Jason and Dave here on Younger and Older. We'll see you here next time. Take care. Bye-bye.